Well, hey, first of all, uh, several of you are new. I, I'm, I'm glad to meet some new faces this morning. If I haven't met you yet, I look forward to that time uh, where I get to and, and get to learn your story. And um, welcome to Christ Community. And um, I don't know what your experience has been so far, but hopefully it's been a little bit uncomfortable um, because that's kind of who we are. Uh, our hope for your life uh, is that you would join Jesus. And what we know about Jesus is that he calls us outside the gates. He calls us to get outside of our comfort zones and to be a little bit uncomfortable. And, um, and so uh, if you feel that way, welcome home. You just get to be a part of that with us. Uh, so uh, it's a good thing. Hey, this morning we're starting a new series uh, entitled Not Fair. Not Fair. And uh, we want to invite you to, to join along. This is actually part bigger uh, initiative. Uh, don't you just love that kid's face? I mean, isn't that amazing? Um, I want a bottom lip like that too. Um, so um, this is part of a bigger uh, initiative where throughout the year 2019, uh, our church is preaching and teaching through the book of Romans. And so uh, we started in January with the idea of being set apart. This is like to live lives that are set apart. Um, last month, we did a series entitled Living Lives really trying to begin to address sin that was really causing us to live lives that, man, weren't exactly truthful. They weren't real. And, and so now we're into uh, not fair. So you can follow along with us in uh, the Bible app. Uh, our sermon notes are in there. You can take notes. It's an easy way for you to follow along with what's going on. If you go to uh, more and events, uh, you can find uh, our event should pop up right there, all right? So... Um, as we come into this, uh, we're just now to chapter 2, all right? We, we made two series out of chapter 1, and we're going to be in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 today. Um, and, and here's the thing, the Living Lies series, it causes us to think a little bit about ourselves, but it's also really easy to start thinking about sin, and when you start talking about a particular kind of sin, you think of someone else who really struggles with that, Amen like, let's talk about lies. My kids keep lying to me, right? Let's talk about homosexuality. Oh, well, there was this guy the other day, right? Let's talk about whatever it is. You fill in the blank. It's always easier when we start talking about sin to think about the other person. So now Paul here in chapter 2 is going to make really good and sure that no one can avoid the truth, that we're all sinners. And he's going to teach us something really important about who God is in the process, all right? So I want to invite you to read Romans 2, 1 through 11 with me, and then uh, uh, we'll just ask God to speak to us this morning. Romans 2, 1 through 11. <clears throat> Therefore, always a clue that he's connecting what we just talked about, right? Sins, living lies. Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. Well, they're gone. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things. We know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth. Do you really think, any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is 
revealed. He will repay each one according to his works. Eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. There will be affliction and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for there is no favoritism with God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the written word to us, and we pray that the Spirit would help us to understand it and that we would hear from you today about a man named Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Not fair. Not fair. We have all had moments in life, probably this week, probably this morning, where our emotions are screaming at us, this is not fair. I think about Matt's story, right? How many of us in Matt's situation would be able to have the outlook that Matt had? Not me. That's not fair, right? Uh, this week, in preparation for this, Bobby Carnes, who's the, the pastor at the Midland Church, he, uh, he actually posted on Facebook, hey, give me, give me some uh, scenarios in this world and life that aren't fair. And boy, watch the comments roll in, right? You want to you hear from people, ask them to complain on social media. It's great. It's amazing how that works. But there's some real things, right, that just don't seem fair uh, in life. And, and so, you know, I, you, you begin to think about what, what are those things for me? We can all relate to times that we felt like life isn't fair. Um, and the reality is, is that many of us don't have the courage to speak those things out loud because it's not politically correct to talk about, to, like, to whine, right? Like we've, many of us have been told since a young age, don't whine, don't complain. But it's not fair. Don't talk about that. Our world has trained us not to do that. And, and there's some good in that, right? Don't hear me. I, like, afterwards, I don't want to hear all your complaints. <laughs> but when that happens, we're not sure what to do with the emotion. Like, what do we do when we feel like it's not fair? What do we do? Like, like, okay, we can all identify some things that aren't fair, and we know that in the end, like, we shouldn't feel that way. But what do we do in the middle? What do we do in the middle of that? So, so oftentimes what we do, right, is we take things that, that we feel like aren't fair. Uh, snow in March. Great. Not fair. Snow in March is not fair. Okay? And we take those things and we just bottle them up because we're not supposed to complain. We're not supposed to whine. We put them in this nice little bottle, right? Should have thought about the pieces of paper fitting in the bottle. All right. Great. Not fair. Not fair. All right. Help me out. What else, what else is not fair in life? Too many taxes. Oh, my goodness. Too many. Ta any accountants in the room? Too many taxes. I, they may not think so. They like getting your money from the tax the stuff they're doing for you. No pressure, accountants. <laughs> What we pay accountants, that is not, no, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding, it's not. Uh, let's see, we think about things that aren't fair. What else? Do what? All right, I don't know what that is, but it's, it's not fair. Okay. Um, yeah, not fair. What else? What is it? 
Old age is not fair. Man, not fair. Not fa- old age is not fair. All the things that come with old age may be not fair. Okay? Oh, my goodness. Wow, we went there. Did you know? Okay, so, uh, you know, we don't usually go here, but here's the thing. Matt Bergen is a diehard UK fan, but did you notice in his story that he might have let on that that L beat UK to something, right? They had the first trauma, whatever, and then UK added it later. So, you know, there's some, that was like a succession to all you L fans out there. Go Cats. All right, so, so that's not fair. Um, man, I think about some other things in life too, right? Some things that are tougher, like, man, losing, losing a child. Just doesn't seem fair. And the world doesn't know what to tell us to do with that, but the world says we're not supposed to complain about it. Just buck up. It'll be all right. Shove it in that bottle. Right? I think about some other things that aren't fair. Not fair. And because we're told to not talk about those things, and that's not terrible advice, but we don't know what else to do with them. Oh, my goodness. What is not fair is when illustrations are more work than they're worth, right? But we take these things, and we're not sure what to do with them. And we decide, you know what, we think about, like, it is not, this is not fair. And then before too long, that thought transforms, and we begin to say, you know what, the world owes me. They owe me. This wasn't fair. I don't know what to do with it, and so the world owes me. And then you think about it a little longer, and you know what? I mean, I hear at church, God's the creator of, of everyone and everything. What is God, right? That's the question our kids learned a couple weeks ago. What is God? God is the creator of everyone and everything. The song is stuck in my head. And we're like, well, if that's true, and the world owes me, then God should be in control of that. So you know what? Forget the world owing me. God owes me. God owes me. God, this is not fair. Been there? Prayerfully not. But I think many of us have been. And once we get to this idea that God owes us, there's a debt, right? And when there's a debt to be paid, relationships get frayed. Have you ever noticed that to be true? When there's a debt to be paid, relationships get frayed. I remember um, I was a young whippersnapper, not yet out of college, but I had met the girl of my dreams. She's sitting right down there. She was amazing. I was ready to get married. She was too, and there's only one problem. No money for the ring. No money for the ring. So I went to the bank of dad, it was amazing. He had this great rate going on a ring loan for firstborn sons. Awesome. 0.0% interest. It was amazing. So I get a, a nice loan for this ring. Of course, I had to repay him. I, I, I knew that was true. Dad was too big of a tightwad just to give me the money. I'd... Problem was, we didn't talk about those terms. And so while I was saving up to pay him back in one lump sum, he was expecting payments. There's a debt to be paid. Relationships get frayed. Okay? Now, I have no excuses. 
I have no excuse. It was easy to borrow uh, from that savings that I was trying to save up to repay dad. It was easy to borrow for that when, when something came up or uh, when, you know, like it was just easy to put that off because it was 0.0% interest. It was great. So I thought. Deep down, I knew that I couldn't escape the repayment, but surely, surely dad of all people would show me grace, right? Yes, for a time. He did, mostly. But I'll never forget the day when my mom called. And she explained to me how much tension I was creating in that relationship. Had no idea. Had no idea. Dad had taken that thing and said, you know what, it's not fair that he hasn't repaid me back. He put it in a bottle. He said, Blake owes me. And I did. Needless to say, I got to pay back <laughs> ASAP. The reality was, right, I was expecting I was expecting grace from my dad because I didn't want to face the truth that I owed him money. Who wants to face that truth? That's not a fun truth to face. And dad, after all, remember, I'm a great son. You're a firstborn. I'm a good guy. You know that I'm good for I will pay you back eventually. But really, you owe me, right? This, is, this becomes a flipped attitude. Dad, really, you owe me grace to pay this back. You know, when we begin to expect grace, it's because we don't want to face the truth. When we begin to expect grace, it's because we don't want to face the truth. And yet, how many of us, when we're crying out, that's not fair, we're expecting grace. We're expecting that because of who we are, because of the good things we do, because of all that we've accomplished, we're expecting to get grace. And whenever we expect grace, we don't want to face the truth. Paul reminds us of this truth in this passage, right? I love it when uh, alliteration happens, and it happens in the text, so I don't even have to like, make up preacher words for it. It's amazing. Alliteration is when all the things start with the same letter. Number one, he says there's no excuses, right? We look at verse one. Every one of you who judges is without excuse. You have no excuse, right? Like there's no excuse for the sins that you've committed. There's no excuse for judging others who have sinned. That long list of sins that we talked about a couple weeks ago, it's bad. It's really bad. But you're in the same boat as soon as you look in judgment at those who battle them. And that's a really hard truth to reconcile with, right? Like, I understand feeling bad if I'm the one who's being deceitful. But boy, I got every right to look at that person over there who just tricked me. Last month, I think many of us realize there's no room for judgment because we're often struggling with the same things, right? So there's no excuses. Each of us has dark corners in our hearts and our lives that we want people and we want God to, to overlook. We expect grace. There's no excuses, but there's also no escape. Paul goes on in verse 3. He says, do you really think, do you really think deep down any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? Like in your right mind, do you really think that you can get away with all these bad things when you've got, you know, just by doing some good things? It's a rhetorical question that doesn't really need a lot of explanation. And yet we often live as though our ability to stand for justice and righteous, righteousness somehow helps us to escape from God's judgment ourselves. If we put on the face and we, we do right things and we fight for justice, then surely we can escape God's wrath ourselves. 
surely he will overlook our stuff when he sees all the other good things that I do. No excuses, no escape, but also no exceptions. No exceptions. Verse 9, he says, There will be affliction and distress for every human being who does evil. Everyone. Everyone. How is it fair, right? That, like it, it almost causes us to, to start saying it's not fair again. How is it fair that we're in here feeling guilty and, and our friends are out there indulging in whatever they want? That doesn't seem fair. But how is it fair that, that we're in here thinking about sin and, and drug dealers are running rampant and, and, and bad stuff is happening? How is it fair that we're trying to give ourselves to God and, and children are being abused in our world? Right? How are those things fair? I could go on, right? So many things in our life and in our world just don't seem fair. How do we reconcile these things? What do we do instead of just bottling up and saying, God, you owe me? We have to understand God's purpose in this world, right? God uses what doesn't seem fair to increase your faith in a fair God. God uses what doesn't seem fair to increase your faith in a fair God. What's the definition of being fair? Well, the dictionary would say that being fair is being in accordance with the rules or the standards. Is that a fair definition? <laughs> Brunch. Irony. So if this is what fair means, to be in accordance with the rules or standards, is God fair? Let's let, let's let the text help us. Our first question is, well, who makes the rules? If it's in accordance with the rules, who makes the rules? Well, God does. Verse 2 reminds us, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on what? The truth. Psalm 119, 160. Verse 160, it's crazy. Longest chapter in the Bible. It's all about God's word and, and how it changes our lives. It says, the entirety of your word is truth. Each of your righteous judgments endures forever. Like, okay, great. What, what, like, how does that help us? We're working on lying in our home right now with our kids. That's a fun process, let me tell you. We've been trying to teach our kids how their lies build on one another, right? Most of us, like, we've learned this at this point in our lives, that when you lie, you end up telling another lie, and you end up telling another lie. God never lies. And can you imagine how messed up our understanding of the world and of God's word would be if God had snuck in even one lie somewhere along the way? Can you imagine how messed up it would be or, or it just convoluted if there had been one unfair judgment in the course of history? It would be messed up. But instead, the opposite is true. All of these truths about God are, are building on top of one another, and it's creating this brilliantly beautiful creation. God is our creator, and, and in creating, he not only created with beauty and creativity, but he created systematically and scientifically with order, and that's really amazing. The ecosystem works because there's an intricate set of rules that, that scientists continually uncover and explore, and they're governing over our earth. Who made those? God did, and they are truth. Calendars and clocks operate because of a system that humans devised by observing the rules and patterns that God, our creator, had already put into place. His truth is building on top of each other. It's systematic. It's, it's so incredibly uh, like uh, ornate and, and just put together. 
Relationships function because of submissive and selfless love, not because it just seemed like a really good idea one day and because God created humans with that order and system in mind. He knew how relationships were going to work before we ever tried to figure them out. And it's a good thing that God made the rules, right? Because what would happen if we were trying to make the rules? Have you ever played a game where someone tries to change the rules halfway through? You quit playing, am I right? You're like, I can't play this game with you anymore. Man, it's a good thing that God is fair and that he makes the rules. It is a great grace to have a God who is completely fair, making the rules in a world full of sin. And in this way, right, God uses what doesn't seem fair to increase your faith in a fair God. He makes the rules, but, but who enforces them? Well, he does. And he does it with justice. Verse 6 says this, he will repay each one according to his works. You're like, hold on a second, Blake. We are saved by grace through faith, not of our works. This is not a system where if you do good things, like you get to go to heaven. If you do bad things, you don't. You're right. But for so many of us, right, we have this struggle. Like we want to connect our works, good or bad, with our salvation. And what this is simply saying is that, man, there are consequences for our bad actions and there are blessings for the good ones, and they are not connected to our salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.10 reminds us of this truth. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We have to be careful of, of confusing judgment with salvation. Dallas Willard said it this way. He said, Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. In other words, he gives us grace that covers our sins, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to do good things. There are consequences for sins. There are blessings for obedience, and yet none of those things have a bearing on our salvation. I remember, uh, I think it was Tinley. It was one of our kids. Uh, when she was first beginning to crawl around the house, we have a little dog, and we have a dog food bowl, and when you have a dog and a kid at the same time, it creates for some really fun stories of things that get consumed and put into mouths. And mm, it's great. And so I remember this one Saturday in particular. Uh, we had probably just taken a John Bennett class on reality discipline. And so we were trying to be really good parents for the weekend. <laughs> Timley kept crawling over to the dog food bowl, putting her hand in the dog food bowl. Right? So I'm like picking her up, taking her over to timeout, putting her in timeout, you know, holding her there, letting her go, watching her crawl back to the dog food bowl, picking her up, putting her in timeout. I'm like, John Bennett, this is a terrible system. I was tired. <laughs> and she, as best her mind could understand, didn't feel like it was fair. Why can't I just eat the dog food? Right? What is so wrong with that? And at the end of the day, right, Tinley was still going to be my daughter. I was still going to love her. I wasn't going to kick her out of the house, although it was tempting. But there was a lot of consequences and blessing in between. A lot of discipline in between. A lot of good and bad in between. There is so much grace in God's delayed justice. 
You know, we look at the world and we're like, God, it's just not fair. How can you say you're a just God when these bad things are happening? Well, we're looking at those things in one tiny moment. The moment that somebody's hand is in the dog food bowl, right? God is looking over the course of eternity. There's so much grace in God's delayed justice that he bears with us while not changing. Like, he doesn't want us to just change our, our habits, our actions. He wants to change our hearts. And he knows that sometimes the best way to change our hearts is to be disciplined and continuing to take us away from the dog food bowl and sit us in time out and say, no, you need to understand for yourself that that dog food is not good for you, right? It's not just about keeping us out of the dog food bowl. It's about changing our hearts. That's what makes him a just God. What a grace to us to know that God isn't going to give up on disciplining us to do and be the right person. God uses what doesn't seem fair to increase your faith in a fair God. He makes the rules by the truth. He enforces them with justice. You're like, but surely God has some favorites. I mean, don't you have a favorite kid? Don't answer that. And then Paul's like, well, let me just cut that off for you. Verse 11, there is no favoritism with God. Well, daggone. There goes that out. Paul's writing about an issue that is concerning the competing culture of the Jews and Gentiles, and we're going to dive into that big time next week, about how our culture and about who we are really begins to impact how we think about fairness. God doesn't have any favorites, and we don't even begin to understand or comprehend this, but I love this passage in James. James is a big proponent of, of being fair, and he writes this in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He says, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now here's, like, like let me just say this about James. He's like my hero. Jesus was his brother. Can you imagine having Jesus for a brother? I mean, every time you went somewhere, he's like literally the golden child. I don't, he might have been glowing. I don't know. And you had to live a life of that. And yet you become one of the pillars of the church. And he says, we're going to keep things fair. Not only is Jesus my brother, he's my Lord and my Savior. Can you imagine saying that about your brother? Some of you are laughing a little too hard, all right? How do we show favoritism? Man, we do it all kinds of times. Like, I see who comes in early, finds the padded chairs, and moves them to your section. We look out and we see the people that come to Christ's community, and they're like, ooh, that one could come to my community group, but that one, I'm not sure I want them to know where I live. Sometimes here at Christ's community, I think it even gets reversed. Ooh, that guy that just walked in with the suit and tie, he does not fit here. <laughs> Have you heard about First Baptist down the street? <laughs> and then, I love the ultimate trump card in favoritism, right? When we decide internally that we're not too so sure about a person, we say, well, we're just going to steer clear of that person because the Lord has really given me a, a peace, a discernment that they're not, they're not safe for, like, there's discernment in that from the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the sermon not to get close to that guy. 
We naturally have favorites, right? Every week we sit by certain people in meetings. We save seats in the lunchroom for our friends, for the people we want to sit by. We steer clear of others. And isn't it amazing when we think about how, how much we show favoritism, isn't it amazing to think that God does not show favoritism? That he'd be friends with every person in the lunchroom. That he would always surprise you with who he talked to at the business mixer. You'd be like, hmm, Jesus, I, I see you. It would blow your mind where he sat in church or where he went to lunch afterwards and who he went with. It's amazing to think that he is not showing favorites, that God is fair. And when we realize in all these things, right, that he doesn't have favorites, that he's just, that he, he abides by truth always, when we realize that God is absolutely fair, we realize the incredible value of God's grace. We appreciate that God is all of those things. Because wouldn't it be miserable to serve a God who was anything but those things? That was wishy-washy? That you never knew where he stood? And yet we know deep down, that we are without excuse, that we can't escape God, and we aren't the exception to any of the rules. Instead, he has shown each and every one of us great kindness along the way, that he has every right, every right, just like my dad did me, to demand that we pay him back, and yet instead he made a way for that. We've deserved far worse than what we have, and he's shown us great patience He's already paid far more than, than the you owe me that we're holding in the jar. And so Paul asked the question in verse 4 that we must ask this morning. Do you despise the riches of God's kindness and restraint and patience? Do you despise it? Because when we continue to let our hearts cry, not fair, we are despising the incredible kindness and restraint and patience of God. Thanks, but no thanks, God. I'd rather pout about what is not fair. The picture of the kid with the lip, right? It reminds me of something my mom used to always tell me. Whenever I stuck my lip out like that, she would say, careful, bird's going to come along and poop on that. It's like, man, scared me to death for a long time. I'm just saying. But we would rather do that so often with God, right? God, just leave me alone. It's not fair. I don't want to talk about it. Thanks for being so kind, God. I know, you sent Jesus. But why are you being more kind to that person over there? Thanks for not throttling me for all the sin that I've left lingering in my life that I'm not really going to get rid of because I still enjoy it. But could you please just protect me a little more? Thanks for being patient while I work on that sin, God, but, but what did you expect? I'm, I'm a sinner after all, right? Don't I deserve some grace? You're not realizing that, as Paul writes, it's God's kindness that should lead you to repentance. God uses what doesn't seem fair to increase your faith in a fair God. And when you come to the moment where you're ready to, to drop that emotion in the bottle and say, God, you owe me, it's vital to our faith to remember the Lord's kindness to us, that he sent Jesus to secure the eternity of all who would believe in him. And we should turn from, from all of our emotions and all of our ideas that say life's not fair and turn to something else. That's called repentance. And so often we know that we should turn from those feelings, but what do we turn to? What should we seek? What are we turning to? Ultimately, Jesus, yes, but what does that look like? 
Paul writes in verse 7, eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory and honor and immortality. How do we do that? What's one practical way, what's one practical thing that, that we can do to do that, to seek glory and honor and immortality? In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a story, a parable. It says, Peter approached Jesus and, and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? Jesus says, I tell you, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. Some of you are doing math. You're like, what's 70 times seven? Okay, so I just got to do it 490 times. Now, the point is that seven is the number of perfection. You forgive them perfectly. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. And since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. I think my dad might have done that for the wedding ring. Just kidding. He loves me. He'll probably listen to this and I'll have to, we'll have to settle debts again. It says, at this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Oh, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. And then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. And at this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. And when the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. And then... After he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also, Jesus says, My heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. When life doesn't seem fair, you have to find a way to forgive. When life doesn't seem fair, you have to find a way to forgive. Because when we've got these and we're carrying these around, Jesus comes to those and he says, you know what? He takes the paper out. He says, this is already paid for. Like this is already figured out. I've already forgiven you. I've forgiven you for the way that you feel about this. Now, would you just go and forgive others? Would you do that? Tell them how I forgave you and how that inspires you to forgive them. Not because it's easy or it feels good, because it's right and it's just and it's fair because the God who is right and just and fair says it is. See, so often we withhold forgiveness because in our minds, by our standards, it's not right. But by the standards of a just and fair God, it is. So forgive the kid that hurt your kid's feelings. Forgive the kid that took your kid's innocence. Forgive their parents, too. Forgive the spouse that you feel wronged you. 
Forgive the parent who wasn't always there for you. Forgive. Forgive the person from your past who hurt you in ways that they will never know. Forgive. Forgive your kid for their sinful ways. Isn't it crazy that sometimes we begin to hold them responsible for who we're becoming? Forgive the friend that you feel turned their back on you. Forgive the leader who disrespected you, the person who abused you, the person who's mistreated you or just didn't have any respect. Forgive. When life doesn't seem fair, you have to find a way to forgive. And when we forgive, we watch as all of our not fair emotions melt away. See, Christ endured the cross not because it was fair, because through it came forgiveness. That was his motivation. You and forgiving you. For some of you, you say, Blake, you don't understand. I just can't imagine forgiving this person. It doesn't seem possible to forgive this person. And to that, I would say, we have to accept the forgiveness Christ has given us first. So many of us struggle to forgive because we haven't truly accepted the forgiveness that Christ has given to us. So today I'll leave you with two questions. The man will come up. One is this. Are you forgiven? Are you forgiven? We know that Christ has made a way for you to be forgiven, but have you accepted the forgiveness he's given to you? You're saying, no, I still have to earn it back. Nope, doesn't work that way. Accept the forgiveness. Are you forgiven? And the second question is, do you need to forgive? Do you need to forgive? There's a million reasons, a million people that we might need to forgive. Just thinking it here may not be enough. You may have to go take action, and that's hard. But when life doesn't seem fair, you have to find a way to forgive. It's what Christ did for us. It's what he asks of us. And it's part of how he releases us from the weight of carrying around all these things that are crying out, that's not fair.